Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Shalom, Chevra. It's an honor and delight to be here again with my teacher and friend, Rabbi Dr. Mark Gopin, who is the director of the Center for World Religions, Democracy, and Conflict Resolution, CRDC, the James H. Lowey Professor at the School for Conflict Analysis and Resolution at George Mason University, Arlington, Virginia, USA. Professor Gopin has pioneered projects at CRDC in Afghanistan, Iran, Syria, Palestine, and Israel and is the author of many books and has engaged in back-channel diplomacy with religious, political, and military figures on both sides of conflicts. He's appeared in numerous media outlets and published in many uh, publications, including the International Herald Tribune. Uh, Rabbi Gopin, thank you for taking time to talk. It's wonderful to talk to you, Rabbi. Thank you. So to jump right in here, um, what is it, uh, I mean, these are only big questions you could talk about for hours, but what is it that has caused so much conflict and vitriol between people of different affiliations in the U.S. and worldwide? What is at the root of such, of such conflicts? Well, I think that uh, actually on terms of many indicators, conflicts are actually going down. If you look at the murder rates and the death rates from violence, it's actually getting better in history, especially in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, the, the death rates even from wars is going down. And yet, at the same time, now we're seeing a kind of infection in, in, in democracies and pseudo-democracies or near-democracies of an intense level of polarization between what's loosely called left-wing and right-wing thinking. But in, in reality, there's a lot of investments and unfortunately an undermining of the democratic principles that our societies were, 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 were founded upon based on manipulation of people's fears and their rage and their fear of outsiders and the way in which you can get votes based on that. So that if you look at the pattern, the pattern from the United States to India to Turkey and to many other places in the world, to Norway's government, liberal, liberal Norway just fell over one uh, ISIS family that was taken back from the war zone. So that everywhere you go, there is a great deal of investment in, in nativism. And the nativism is being, is being strengthened by a system of social media and Twitter and Facebook. And then there are outside forces. There's the Russian government that are actually trying to destabilize democracies as much as possible by making uh, people afraid of each other and angry at each other. And so there's actually deliberate effort, efforts to manipulate the processes of democracies in order to undermine democracy. So even though on a certain level violence is going down, fear, suspicion, and rage is infecting uh, the institutions of democracy at this point in history. 
So, you know, as someone who I know uh, holds your own strong views in support of vulnerable populations um, against authoritarian style regimes and tyrants, how do you hold your own views while also working with different parties um, uh, for an equitable resolution for all? Well, I felt all along that uh, left-right thinking was misguided in terms of understanding um, not only what is happening to us, but also what is ethically right. I don't believe that the great prophets and the great rabbis in history and even the great philosophers thought in terms of left and right. I don't think Aristotle thought way, that way. Socrates didn't. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai did not. They thought in terms of right and wrong on principles on principles that could be applied to all people. And that, that comes to the golden rule, and it's true across cultures that enlightened thinking doesn't think in terms of left versus right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a real problem. So, so what I've done is basically, I, 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 I've, we, the people I work with, they focus on principles, they focus on what is right, but they are deeply interested in everybody's narrative. And they don't see immediately who has more power or less power. They want to take everyone seriously because so much of violence and anger and rage and bad politics is about people not being taken seriously for who they are. So I may champion immigrants. I may champion uh, the black community. I may champion um, uh, uh, efforts to pay back the black community for hundreds of years of slavery and abuse, but I am deeply interested in white identity. I'm deeply interested in Ang you know, European pride. I have no problem with wanting to encourage European background people who are mostly white to discover their heritage, to be proud of their heritage. And that's something you don't hear on the left. It's not something you hear among progressives and they are therefore setting up the boundaries of a, a Zimbardo experiment. They're, they're guaranteeing that there is a group against another group, and, and we can't afford to do that. Yeah. If we honor, if we believe in dignity, we have to believe in dignity for everyone. So, and, um, so in, a, in an era where, where so many are entrenched in social, social media networks, which makes sense, how do we create spaces for meaningful, transformative conversations? And as a, as a second, question that's connected and picking off what you just said, that um, the, the general progressive base uh, who supports social justice in America today um, talks about building power, you know, to win, you know, to, it's a war and you have to win that war. There's very little to no talk about uh, any type of bridge building. Do you think, given the current situation, that's misguided or that, or that makes sense given the extreme nature of the opposition? I think it's misguided because I think you can do two things at once. I think that Martin Luther King and Gandhi are the most important examples of history of building a mass movement for social change and then for political change and legal change at the same time that they expressed a deep love for their adversaries, for their enemies. And they specifically proved that on thousands of occasions. And the left today does not have that capacity. People are enraged, they're terrified, they're being gaslighted, and that is a thing. That's actually a psychological phenomenon that is intimidating people every day to drive them into a corner 
of resistance and rage and ultimately uh, a sense of powerlessness. But you have to be able to do two things at once. You have to both champion what you know to be right on the political level and to go after the best politicians that you can who will represent the best values that you think are appropriate. But at the same time, you have to be engaged and care for those who would be considered adversaries. We are not doing enough of that. And we, the social media makes it very difficult to do that because in social media, everybody's stress levels are heightened and you're ready to pounce the moment somebody says something, anything off of what you would say. So the, the media, and then there's a lot of deception in media provocation. So between all of that, I think that the mobilization of people in American democracy now, in Indian democracy, for example, they're fighting uh, for their lives in India, for their democracy that would cut across Hindu and Muslim lines. That's all great organizing. It just needs to come along with a very principled, mature engagement with the enemy other that is <laughs> loving uh, and, and, and engaging in interest in bipartisan approaches to environmentalism, to childcare, to healthcare, to, to common values, to so many things that we actually do have uh, in common that are not being explored uh, in this age of extreme partisanship. And that suits the extremists just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, in fa and in fact, when you do cross those bridges, um, you're the biggest threat when you, when you actually, you know, so, so that's why we see very little of people associated with white identity and other things. Uh, there's very little common ground. And the people who do that work, they are ridiculed by their own communities. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about ways to champion uh, that kind of uh, boundary crossing uh, because um, in conflict analysis and resolution theory, it's becoming increasingly clear to me that very, very few people have the capacity to hold uh, two rights in their minds at the same time. They are, through stress, they're forced to choose one or the other. But that, in fact, is not a good way um, to build peace between people. So even even through those conversations and that peace building work, is it? Do you think it's possible to address issues of identity and conflict without addressing underlying issues of wealth and equality? Um, it depends on the conversation. Like I said, I think you can do two things at once. So that when it comes to wealth inequality and power issues, you should mobilize people who are being underserved or systematically. Uh, uh, subject to prejudice in society. But again, if you look at that carefully, what's happening is, is that, okay, so there are millions of, of white minimum wage workers who are being manipulated into thinking that a racist position is in favor of them instead of actually looking at how miserable their lives are with not being able to pay for a house, not being able to pay for rent even, and yet they, want, they are being manipulated into hating on people of color. So that is a, is a, is a deficit in those who have gone after the, the empowerment and power issue, that they don't have a forum where both uh, you know, white populations in the rural area and urban black populations can be in the same room 
talking about jobs. So some of the candidates have emphasized that, and that's great. But we can't change based on candidates and their character. We have to change based on systems that we're developing. And so what I'm suggesting is that the systems of social change and resistance are good, but most of them are not cutting across this particular barrier. They really, really need to have spaces that are multiracial and focused on justice. And then, and even more daringly, we need to love billionaires too, because the hundred people who are destroying the climate of the planet are not all billionaires and millionaires. As a matter of fact, some of them are dedicating all of their money to, towards solutions. They're giving away a lot right now, and we don't want to demonize Right. People, even if we think in principle, nobody in this world should be a billionaire. The fact is they're there and a lot of them have a, a, a desire to see the same results as we do. So humanizing billionaires, humanizing white people, humanizing Jewish majority in Israel is very, very important. And we see that when you don't humanize the Jewish majority in Israel, like most of the world has done, you don't, you don't get anywhere for 50 years. You know, Jews should have been welcomed in every Arab capital yeah. since for, for 60 years now and said, you're welcome here. We love you. And by the way, we'd like to see a just solution with the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Nobody did it. And that's why we're at an impasse. Mm -hmm. Because no matter who has more power, they have to be loved. Yeah. And that's something that, that, that progressives uh, desperately need to learn. And my experience is that it, it works. It works really well. I've worked in the worst dictatorships in the world. I've worked in Syria. I'm still working in Syria. And it's remarkable to me that despite being rabbi, despite going to Israel all the time, they, they love me because I care for them. That's it. Yeah. And, and you can do that. You can actually break those barriers, um, even with people you're most afraid of. Yeah, I love it. So, okay, so last question for you. How does Torah inspire this work for you? Um, or ask differently, uh, um, how does Jewish tradition teach us, uh, wh what is some of the wisdom there for resolving ideological conflicts uh, that we experience? Well, it, it's, there, there are so many different sources, and in complex ways, sometimes the lessons of Torah, what not to do. I mean, it, the book of Bracious of Genesis is a very honest, frank book about the, the brilliant things among the ancestors and the, and the mistakes of the ancestors. I'm always inspired by Abraham. I can't believe the fact that this man who stood for compassion and justice was the one to stand up to God and say, you know, you should give Sodom and Gomorrah another chance. Why? It's wrong to kill innocent together with the guilty. I mean, right there, an amazing <laughs> ch champion, uh, a guy that, that was dealing with very unsavory characters. And what did he do? He focused on the law and on what's fair and on transactions that would be just. He could have said, oh, I, I, you know, let me cheat them. They're awful people. And Abraham's example is a remarkable one. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, another remarkable figure in, in Jewish history because he faced Jewish sectarianism and Jewish suicidal behavior, and he came out with a philosophy of peace and compassion and justice. Hillel the same, remarkably self-controlled, individual who worked on his anger and became a champion of peace. So the way I incorporate the tradition is amazing exemplars, uh, amazing traditions, both biblical and rabbinic, on how to pursue peace 
And then the whole system of humble self-reflection in Judaism, which means even reflection on the mistakes or the sins of our ancestors, even Moshe, even Abraham, is a critical ingredient to social change because arrogance is the enemy of true peace. And a humility is an answer. Beautiful. Friends, be sure to check out the amazing books and writings and teachings of Rabbi Dr. Mark Open. Thank you so much for your time. Great. Take care.